Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson. Great to be with you today. And uh, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I had the opportunity a, a month or so ago to be on the Hinkley Report with our friends up at the University of Utah and uh, with Jason Perry and company. And had the opportunity to be on a panel uh, with Professor Ronell Anderson Jones from the University of Utah uh, Law, and uh, it was just such a delightful conversation. And then when we saw this week uh, and yesterday in particular uh, an opinion coming out from the Supreme Court uh, having to do with uh, some first. Uh, amendment issues, to be sure, uh, and some really interesting ones and a, a very interesting opinion uh, from Justice Thomas. I thought, OK, this is this is our chance. <laughs> we can get Professor Anderson Jones on the line and she has uh, agreed to join us. And uh, the, the thing I, I love in your in your bio is you are a former newspaper reporter and editor. <laughs> uh, which, yes, bringing some boots on the ground experience to the to the questions. Yeah, exactly. Far more important. Professor uh, Jones is a First Amendment scholar who teaches teaches, researches, writes on legal issues affecting the press and that intersection of, of media and the courts. Uh, of course, you were a clerk uh, to Justice Sandra Day O'Connor uh, and a host of other things. I, I, I told our producer we could spend the entire segment just going through all of your uh, biography and accomplishments. But, uh, Professor, I, I want to get into this uh, because I know it's something you've been watching uh, and many people uh, let, were left kind of wondering some of the uh, unspoken and spoken messages from the court relating to this case. Yeah, uh, this case was brought by the Knight Institute at Columbia University uh, and uh, has been in the courts for a number of years. There was a, a circuit court ruling from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals holding that um, President Trump had violated the First Amendment by blocking people from his Twitter account after right. they posted critical comments. And uh, the Trump administration appealed this uh, to the United States Supreme Court and sought certiorari, asked the court to hear the case. And it sat on the court's uh, conference docket for 11 consecutive conferences, just was there forever. Wow. Uh, and, and even was there uh, for a long time after it was clear to both sides of the case that the case had gone away, that it was moot. They argued that the two sides were arguing that it was moot for different reasons. One side, the Trump administration said, this is moot because I'm no longer president, right? That this, right. this case was brought against me uh, in my capacity as president, and I'm no longer president, so you shouldn't take the case anymore. Uh, the Knight Institute said that it was mooted uh, because uh, Trump had been removed from Twitter, that uh, Twitter had um, uh, removed his account uh, on the basis of his violation of some of their internal policies. But both agreed uh, that the court shouldn't hear it. And still the court 
didn't deny uh, review uh, for a very long time. And now we know uh, that the reason was that Justice Clarence Thomas uh, was working up something that he wanted to write separately at the time that the court made that announcement. Wow. And that is the uh, concurring opinion that uh, Justice Thomas issued uh, as part of that yesterday. And uh, this is an interesting thing. Uh, Justice Thomas, of course, uh, this is not a new thing for him. He, he occasionally sends messages through either a concurring opinion or uh, or uh, something in dissent that he does on his own. Uh, so tell us what what did he actually say? What did he what is he really calling for in uh, in his opinion? Yeah, you're right on both fronts. Um, Justice Thomas, uh, all justices are free to do so at a time when the court denies review of a particular case. Uh, they're um, free to dissent from that denial to say, I would have taken this case. Uh, I would have liked to have taken this case. They're also free to do what Justice Thomas did here, which is to agree this wasn't a good t- case for us to take. Uh, this wasn't a, c- a case we could move forward with. But I'm going to write a concurrence in the um, in the decision not to take it, uh, to lay out some ideas about what I think we might want to do in the future. And Justice Thomas actually has a recent pattern of um, doing so in the First Amendment context, yeah. of, of really throwing some bombshells about ways that he would like to sort of, in large-scale ways, restructure our thinking on First Amendment law. And he's usually by himself. Uh, he's all alone on this uh, without other justices joining him. And the same is true here. Uh, in this case, uh, he sort of uses this concurrence uh, in the in the Trump Twitter case to make some more global comments about what he thinks of as the role of large social media companies and platforms in our wider First Amendment sphere and suggests that they uh, might not have a, a First Amendment right uh, to regulate speech on their platforms, um, sort of analogizing them to common carriers or to places of public accommodation, essentially um, mirroring some of the fairly significant talking points that Trump himself took. Um, You might remember there was an executive order from the Trump administration about concerns about preventing online censorship and particularly concerns about um, uh, the ways in which uh, some major platforms were perceived as um, having a political bias. And so uh, uh, a lot of what's happening here is Justice Thomas sort of um, reiterating some of those points, which are interesting ones that are coming. um, This critique is coming both from the left and from the right. Uh, So some some of the comments that he's making are uh, very housed in um, uh, political talking points that we have seen made in recent months uh, from folks on the right who are quite concerned about what they perceive of as a left-leaning bias uh, by um, certain social media platforms. But there are also um, similar arguments that have been made by quite progressive scholars who um, have been arguing similar points about the um, concentration of ownership and control, the concentration of, of so much speech in the hands of a few private parties. So I think it's, um, he's, he's bringing voice to a real moment of tension in this space. Yeah, and I, I, it's so fascinating to me because, uh, as you mentioned, and, and you've spent so much time with these First Amendment issues and where they cross over uh, with the media and free speech, uh, it is so interesting to to have a judge like Justice Thomas, you know, calling for Congress to to regulate more, especially as it relates to First Amendment issues. Uh, and then some of the others, you know, looking at, well, wait a minute, we're putting the power in the hands of a very, very small group of, of individuals and organizations. Uh, so what else should we be watching for? Uh, so now that he sort of signaled this out there again on his own, not with any of the other justices, uh, do you see this conversation going? And where do you see it going next? 
Yeah. So I, I do think um, he's uh, uh, sort of articulating something that has already been in the water. Right. Um, but to have um, someone at that level of uh, at the Supreme Court um, uh, sort of putting their imprimatur upon it, I think, validates the conversation in interesting ways. And we've seen this happen with other things that Justice Thomas has said um, a couple of years ago. He threw out in one of these um, in, a, in a similar format at a time when the court was re- was saying that they wouldn't hear a case. And he took the moment to articulate why he thought they should. He um, called for uh, the court to start thinking about scaling back protection of the press in New York Times versus Sullivan, the kind of protection that the press receives um, when it publishes uh, information on matters of public concern that critiques public officials. So, and we saw that that did alter the conversation. There are now, you know, academic conferences um, that discuss those things. There are now um, briefs at lower courts that start to try to weave these arguments in. Uh, I expect that um, some of that same effect will happen here. A big thing that's going to happen is is something that has already been launched, but I think is going to kick into high gear, which is that we are going to have broader conversations, not just about what the doctrine currently says about the First Amendment. And what the doctrine currently says about the First Amendment is that Facebook and Twitter are speakers just like you and I are. And so if the government was to regulate them heavily uh, and tell them what they could or could not, um, what rules they could or could not set for speech on their own platforms, that would be the same as the government telling uh, you or me uh, that I uh, can't control the kinds of people who speak at my house or who speak on my property or speak in my newspaper. Uh, And I think what we're going to see is a pushback on that, a shift. Uh, Thomas is really pushing for a broader revocation of um, those platforms' First Amendment rights, or at least a rethinking of how they fit in our First Amendment framework and, in his words, how our legal doctrines apply to highly concentrated, privately owned information infrastructure, such as digital platforms. That's, I think, um, where the conversation's going. Oh, fantastic. Great insight, as always, from uh, Professor Ronell Anderson-Jones. Always appreciate it. And uh, we're going to have you back really soon. This is an area that is just so intriguing and so important, uh, especially as we look at the uh, state of the country and even right here in our own community. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Floyd. Great to talk to you. That's my conversation uh, with Professor uh, Rennell Anderson-Jones from up at the University of Utah. And uh, just to, to put a fine point on that, this this debate, this is so interesting. And again, coming from Justice Clarence Thomas uh, in his uh, concurring opinion uh, on this case re- relating to Twitter and former President Donald Trump, uh, interesting to whether we should have more regulation on places like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so on. Uh, or uh, if if that is going to solve the problem, that always makes me nervous when we start talking about more regulated speech. Uh, and then the flip side of that uh, is also the case. They say, well, no, that those businesses should be able to decide that for themselves. Uh, then you're really concentrating that power to control speech into the hands of very, very few and you're also giving it to very, very powerful, very wealthy uh, corporations and organizations. And so this is an important conversation. And I do love the fact that uh, Justice Thomas, uh, I love how he does this. Uh, he, if he feels there's something the country should be talking about, uh, I love the way uh, Professor uh, Anderson Jones framed it, that uh, he, he brings voice uh, to these issues and these principles uh, that the country really needs to think through. Uh, and that's a good thing. Because it's when we have those conversations, when we really start to think differently and more, uh, 
Uh, we try to do that on this show every day. It's a, it's about uh, what Einstein said. Uh, he says, I'm not smarter than anyone else. I just stay with the questions longer. And that's part of what we're trying to do in our expanded format here on Inside Sources from 1 to 3 is with the extra time to stay with the questions just a little bit longer and see if we can't get some additional insights, see if we can't elevate it in a unique way. Uh, we want to make sure we're looking for out-of-the-box solutions, but we're also going to make sure that before we look outside the box, we're going to explore inside the box. Because one thing I have discovered is that many of the solutions to our problems individually, as families, as communities, as a country, are solutions that are actually inside the box. But sometimes we get so obsessed with out-of-the-box thinking uh, that we forget what is actually inside the box where the solution may actually be housed. All right, we're going to step aside for top of the hour news. Stay with us. We have one more hour on the expanded Inside Edition here on KSL News Radio. I'm Boyd Matheson. It is great to be with you today. And we have much more to come in our next hour. Uh, Amy Winder Newton will join us, as well as Senator Jake Andrig uh, on some important conversations and lessons from March Madness. Stay with us. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.